Let me know if this sounds familiar. You're going out to dinner with some friends and you have the mentality that you are going to let yourself indulge a little bit, right? So you get an entree that you want and you share dessert, but then when you get home, you keep on going. You're sitting at the pantry, maybe the fridge, you're opening things, whatever you have to satisfy any sweet tooth and you just can't stop. The binging just won't stop. And then the next day you feel so guilty so you restrict yourself only to do the same thing over and over again. I brought on Lauren Conlin to discuss identifying binge eating, what it is, why we do it, and how to overcome that endless vicious cycle. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHaze. I'm obsessed with all things fitness and business. I left my career as a TV reporter after 10 years to start my own fitness coaching company. I was so tired of seeing people struggle with disordered eating and misguided weight loss information. Think of this as your one-stop shop for training, nutrition, and success while navigating through life. Grab a cup of coffee, get cozy, and get ready to learn and laugh. Again, welcome to the Tailored Living Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. So Lauren, I know that you've spent so much time really focusing on obviously the mental health of your clients, which I really respect. And I've kind of seen that growth from you over the last really two to three years. So props to you. And I just feel like the binge eating cycle is really what's resonated with me um, and just your content in relation to that. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. First of all, that has been a huge focus of mine. Um, of course, I'm just interested in, you know, nerdy in kind of the way that psychology works. But most importantly, I saw how how connected, obviously, not only, you know, just physically what you're doing and how you're feeling and like the food that you're eating or not eating, but like how much the mental space really plays into that. And you really can't ignore either, right? Like we can't ignore habits that are going to be helpful and useful for a healthy diet. We also can't ignore kind of like the negative mindset that comes with some of these other issues. And a lot of people will get into the industry um, or just kind of like the health and fitness space, we'll say that, or even hire a coach when they've had maybe bad dieting history or they might have had some disordered eating or they might have had, you know, hey, I tried Weight Watchers 10 years ago and then it kind of jacked me up, right? Like there's so many different like ways that people can enter this space now. Um, but binge eating or any kind of binge eating tendencies are unfortunately very common. Um, and I would say that it's very multifaceted, of course, like why does it happen? But I would say that one of the big things is that people who have, it's a combination of overly restrictive dieting behaviors, which have typically gone on for years, coupled with generally like poor planning. And then it's kind of like that perfect storm um, to enable that binge eating cycle. So I, I agree with you. I think that all binging stems from restricting. And I think that some of it is more deeply rooted um, than, than other cases. Yeah, and I think that sure. sometimes it's really hard for somebody to actually just own up and say, okay, I kind of have a problem. And, you know, as a competitor yourself and, and same here, and I know that you coach competitors too, like I do want to differentiate the difference between going out to dinner with friends intentionally overindulging versus covering 
in your kitchen over the sink, like scarfing peanut butter down, right? So like, can we, can you just give me, I guess, your definition of what, what binge eating is and how that is different from like a post-show meal or just a dinner out with friends, a birthday meal, you know what I mean? Things like that. Yes. Yeah. And, and binging also is very different for a competitor versus a non-competitor. Not always, but if we're talking about the post-competition setting, that's a whole different animal too, right? Like that's not normal binging behavior and people who might have not even had any issues before their competition might be dealing with some issues simply because of where they're at physiologically and psychologically post-show. But let's just kind of differentiate the two. So binge eating would be any kind of eating where you feel very out of control. And typically we're thinking about things that are either very calorie dense or, you know, what some people would call trigger foods. Um, You know, somebody might eat, say, like, you know, peanut butters for classic example. You know, you have a little bit of it and then you're like, whatever, I'm going to go half the jar and then it's what else is in the pantry. Um, A lot of times, you know, and I'm not going to give a clinical diagnosis here because that is not my specialty. Right. Um, But I know typically with the, you know, if you are looking at like the actual diagnoses, like there has to be a pattern. It's not just like, oh, once this happened, it's multiple times over several months and it's a repeated behavior. And like that's what would actually be diagnosed as binge eating disorder. Um, But again, just in general, like a binging episode would be, hey, I overate, I was out of control, um, and I didn't feel like I could stop. And I really felt shameful and didn't feel like I could tell anybody. Very different than saying, hey, I'm going to go out to dinner. It's my best friend's birthday. Like, we're going to get some drinks. I'm going to have a piece of cake. That's a very different situation. Like, overeating is very different than binging. And I often say to people, like, you can actually, you know, feel those feelings of a binge, even if you didn't necessarily blow through your calories, right? Like, it's more of, like, the mindset Mm -hmm. around it. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. more of that kind of, oh, I need to hide this. I feel very out of control. Um, I mean, realistically, you could you could binge on apples, right? Like, obviously, most people are not going to be doing that. But just for, like, a really dramatic example, you were like, hey, I'm going to have a apple. And you then ate 10 because you felt like you couldn't stop. Well, technically, that could be considered some kind of binging behavior. Now, would I say that that's most binge eating disorder? Of course not. But the mindset there is what's really important. And that's the biggest distinguishing factor between overeating and binging. You are in full control if you are choosing to overeat at a certain meal or a specific time versus feeling very out of control, like food has the power over you. And getting back to it even the next day, you know, I I don't like using the term like back on track, but like, you know, for the sake of this, I will, you know, if you can go out to dinner, kind of indulge with your friends. And again, I think that the group setting really does differentiate that to me in my head. Binging has always been something that's very isolated, uh, very, you know, like you said, hidden, Um, People Mm -hmm. are not usually proud to admit that, right? But I think the next day really can kind of tell you if if you're listening and you're wondering like, hmm, well, you know, I was by myself and I did overeat. Was that a binge? Well, the next day, what is your mindset like? Are you intentionally thinking I need to restrict today or are you literally jumping back to your routine and moving on with your day? Yes. Again, very different, Um, you know, before, you know, what people do beforehand and what people do afterwards is really indicative of what that kind of eating episode was. And I actually, we actually wrote an article for our website and I titled it like something along the lines of like, is overeating or like, when should you plan to overeat? It was a really weird title, but I really didn't know how else to say it because yeah. I wanted to capture the essence of that. Like, Hey, you know, and it was, it came, it stemmed from a client check-in because she was like, listen, like I had this meal. It was like this really like calorie dense meal. Um, but beforehand I didn't restrict afterwards. I didn't restrict. I knew what I wanted going into it. I had it moved on. It was great. So I would consider that like something that 
you know, works into her current plan with her current goals right now. Um, you know, she had it. She moved on. There was no pre-restriction, post-restriction. There was no compensatory behaviors at all. Um, and so every once in a while, like, you can do that. The, the big difference is, again, with binging is that it does become this very out-of-control, out-of-touch thing. And sometimes this is coming from a place of caloric restriction. Sometimes it's coming from a place of mental rigidity and restriction around certain types of food. And then if we are going back to that kind of competitor and or really, really heavily dieted perspective, that, of course, is a whole different scenario because your body literally wants to be anywhere but where it currently is as far as body fat levels go. So you're, you're, you have very little stopping mechanisms and very little rational control over, you know, your food and your control of food. Right. And I think that we could spend literally, uh, you know, a whole entire podcast on just like reverse dieting after a show, you know, like that would be a whole new, you know, podcast um, for yeah. sure. Because I think just your brain is not in the same spot. Um, but in terms of like lifestyle clients, you know, mm-hmm. if you get somebody who comes to you and they are, you know, claiming that they are under eating, but they are overweight or have body fat to lose and that's kind of their goal, you know, Let's talk about how the reverse dieting process is and flexible dieting can really be beneficial in terms of helping somebody overcome those binge eating tendencies, like why eating more can actually help. And again, I know that you've talked about the restricting and whatnot, but I'm just curious how you kind of take your, your clients with disordered eating patterns or history of disordered eating through a reverse diet. Yeah, so this is actually very common and somebody might report like, hey, you know, on most days, I'm trying to eat X, but then on the days that I don't eat that, it's a lot more. Or they undereat and then they overeat and they kind of oscillate between the two. And when you're doing that, your body always kind of feels like it's on edge, right? Like it's never really comfortable, can never really feel consistent, kind of get into a routine. Because some days you might be having one meal and a snack or you might be having, you know, 5,000 calories, right? And like that sounds very dramatic to some people, but that really is the reality for certain individuals. So the first thing that we're going to do with somebody in that situation is going to just let's nail down routine. Not even, you know, somebody may or may not be familiar with tracking macros. That might not even be appropriate. But, like, hey, we need to have four meals today with protein. Like, that's the first starting place that I'll go with somebody. Um, and then, of course, once do they get that routine like a down. food log or anything like that? That's kind of what I do. If somebody has never tracked macros, I just want to see how they're eating and structuring their, their meals. You know, I mean, would you say that's kind of a good place to start, too? Yes, getting a idea of what a typical day or week looks like for somebody on a low day and a high day is really important. Um, and whether that's through a food log that's written, whether that's through asking them questions, you know, in an email or on a phone call, whatever it might be, you need to actually figure out what are they doing because a snapshot in time, like, hey, this is what I ate today. Okay, well, kind of give me an idea of the past month. Like, how many days have been like this? How many days have been completely different? And you really need to get an understanding of that before you can even change anything else. Um, sure. And then from there, we're trying to just develop consistency, develop routines, develop patterns. One of the things that we've seen with our clients for binging or people who have these tendencies is that oftentimes what will happen is they won't plan appropriately earlier in the day. Yep. And then they might be a little bit low but that obviously is going to lead to increased hunger later in the day that's disproportionate to, you know, what they should be eating. And then basically they, they eat a lot at once, and then it's just kind of like that switch flips, and then they might have a binging or overeating episode. And then what ends up happening is because typically this is done later in the day, 
they wake up and then they're like, well, I'm not really hungry and I kind of feel bad about last night. So they restrict again and then that cycle continues. So one of the best things that we found with clients in this situation actually is to simply, hey, you need to be eating consistent meals. Even if you did have a binging or overeating episode the night before, you need to wake up and have breakfast. It doesn't need to be the biggest breakfast you've ever eaten, but you still need right. to have something. Have a protein shake <laughs> and, a, you know, fruit, whatever it is. Like, this needs to happen. We need to get consistent because every time somebody goes through this overeating restricting cycle, even on a day-to-day basis, they're basically setting themselves up for failure. Exactly. You know, and that's what people I don't think really understand. It's like, you know, the more you restrict, the more you are likely going to binge. And that, like you said, that oscillating back and forth, like that's one going to be mentally so taxing. You're going to feel defeated all the time, but also your hunger cues are just going to be all over the place. You're not really going to know when you're hungry, when you're not hungry. And then it's just really an endless cycle versus, hey, let's just consistently focus on quality protein. You know, I kind of, uh, what I do is I have a food blog that I will send out to my clients and I have it broken down into, you know, the time of day so I can see kind of how their meal timing is as well as like protein, carbs, fats, and I put veggies on there because I've been so surprised at how many people do not eat vegetables on a daily basis, Lauren. Oh, that yeah. like, what the <laughs> hell, man? Like, <laughs> I'm like, did no, you eat green? <laughs> And it's so it's so funny because obviously the supplement industry has really capitalized on green, green. powders and, and green reds, right? And now I full I take greens and reds every single day. I love them. I, I also eat vegetables. Yep. Right? That, right. I love yeah. them. But the you'll see part of the what I'll call like the science crowd or, or just really anybody who's against them going, Whole foods are better, you need to eat, you know, real vegetables and it's like, yes. I agree. But I can't get all that but, shit in, man. But ha- well, that one, you're not going to be able to get in that wide variety um, of vegetables and fruits. But also, have you looked at most people's diet logs? <laughs> They're so, not yeah, eating like, any hey, vegetables. Come look at mine. Yeah, <laughs> so, talk to my clients about that. <laughs> so yes, I would love everybody to have multiple meals a day with a wide variety of fresh greens and red and all these things ah, in there, right? Yes. But <laughs> it's not going to happen. And even with myself, I mean. There are certain vegetables and fruits that I like. There's others that I don't, right? So I, I rotate mine, of course, for gut health reasons. Um, but, you know, realistically, I'm eating a smaller handful, and that's still me trying, you know what I mean? So yeah, if you I look at it. some of the people's diet logs, diet log, they won't even have anything on yeah. it. So, yeah, it's all about, like, okay, hey, what can we do to improve right now? And if somebody is eating, like I said, either one meal a day or restricting or they're overeating, it doesn't need to be perfect, but we need to get something going that's a lot more consistent. And being right. at 60% is better than being at 0%. And then Correct. we can move up from there. And that's a yeah. hard thing because people want an answer and a response right away. Um, hey, I want to do a total 180. And it's like, yes, I would love that too. But the chances of that sticking are slim to none. So let's start here, mm-hmm. and then we can continue to improve. Well, that's what I tell my clients, too. It's like, you know, I know that you want to overcome binging, but if you have a client who consistently is binging two to three times a week, my goal is, yes, of course, I would love to say you're never going to binge again, but realistically, I just want to get us down to once a week and then maybe once a month and Mm -hmm. then kind of minimize that over time. But I think people, when they put all that pressure on themselves, that leads to just, you know, too much anxiety, Mm self-sabotaging habits, and then they're all of a sudden back to binging again. Um, yeah, ultimately, so they're going to actually overeat more, which is really unfortunate. Right. So in terms of, okay, let's say the food log is going well, 
kicking ass with that. We're, we're tracking macros now, kicking ass with that. I want to talk about incorporating untracked meals, uh, refeed days, things like that. Um, I feel like you and I have pretty similar mentalities and mindsets around that. But, you know, um, I'm going to tell you kind of my baby step method, and I want to know how you work with your clients as well, because I feel like you probably have all kinds of tips that I just would love to learn. Um, so, you know, what I like to do is kind of give them an untracked meal at home and just say, hey, let's eat foods that you're comfortable with and let's just not use a food scale. So it could literally be chicken, sweet potatoes, whatever. But I find that people just assume that like an untracked meal equals bad food, right? Untracked meal equals pizza and gluttonous foods. And I don't think that's always accurate. Is that is that kind of a method that you might practice as well before venturing out into a restaurant if somebody has a ton of food phobia? So it's, it, of course, as always, it's going to really depend. Probably. Um, sure. I would say that usually the first time I incorporate it, I just say open-ended, hey, you can eat this out or you can eat it at home. And then I always like to use the first few untracked meals as kind of like a baseline to see where they're struggling what we need to do, because I could say to somebody, hey, go have an untracked meal. They go out. It's easy. Good to go. No problem. Well, we didn't need to adjust it, right? Whereas other people, there's going to be a lot of small adjustments that we're making week to week. But I won't know that until I kind of, you know, put it out there and see how they respond. Because I can tell people all day long what I think they should do, but I can't, I have to actually see what they do. And part of the untracked meal, I mean, the biggest part of it all is learning to trust yourself around food without weighing it and without putting it into some kind of an app or writing it down or fitting into some kind of equation. So that is going to look very different for everybody. Some people, like I said, handle it great. And for most people, it kind of times up nicely because most of us are going to be doing at least one social thing a week. Obviously, not always, but most people are. So it's usually easy to be like, hey, like, you know, that dinner you have coming up or whatever it is, like, just use it there. And then people really can add that very easily into their life. Um, obviously, this year has been a little bit different than most years yeah, as far so. as um, <laughs> things being open, things being shut. Um, so I've had a lot more people have untracked meals or days just simply at home because of all that. Um, but oftentimes, my very first thing to start with is, hey, let's just do it. I'm just going to be very open-ended with this, and then we're just going to kind of adjust from there. But for people who really do struggle – um, you know, starting at home is certainly key. Like, hey, you know, make a meal at home, um, you know, make something that you have been wanting to try, like whether it's like a recipe or a new thing that, you know, some things are just harder to make if you try and track them. Like, let's be honest. So it's just like, just make that thing that you've been wanting to do or try something something new. Um, and then we kind of start there and we don't track. Um, but just in general, too, that is a, that's something that I'll use and, and not even consider it untracked, but having people do things at home and kind of just estimating them just so they do feel comfortable if they're trying to kind of transition out of that. So there's so many different ways to do it, but oftentimes oh, yeah. the very first way I do it is just say, hey, go for it, and then report back, and we'll adjust. <laughs> That's generally my first tip, because they could be totally fine with it, and then we don't need to do those baby steps. Oh, Other yeah, people totally. might need it, so then it's like, let's scale back for that reason. So if somebody reports back to you, and let's say they are constantly either getting something that's like, oh, I had a chicken salad. I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but if you start to see kind of like that trepidation and trying things mm -hmm. that might be a little more challenging to track, um, say like a pasta dish or something like that, right? What are your steps to getting over that hurdle? Yeah, and that's, that is something that is 
you know, very important. Like, are you, is your untracked meal, um, you know, is it always super indulgent or is it always super rigid like a salad, right? Like there sometimes, and once people get the hang of it, um, who don't kind of exhibit any issues, like I said, some weeks it might be a burger, some weeks it might be a salad, totally fine. Um, but if it's a repeated trend of somebody who is, you know, is afraid to eat out, afraid to not track, and then when they finally are doing their untracked meal, they're, you know, having a chicken salad with like, oh, yeah, I had a bite of this. You're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't enough, right? And we have to, I basically just have to ask, like, what, what is, what is the hang up here? Like, why are you always ordering that? Or, you know, what are you scared of? And it's really just kind of asking the questions and, and getting their response in their own words to then modify your response as a coach. Um, because I could, I could, you know, think what I want to think, like, oh, they're not doing it because they're scared of food. But in reality, it might be something else, right? Or it could be that, right? So that we have to kind of just ask them, hey, you know, you know, why are you always ordering this every time you go out? Why is this the only thing that you have for your untracked meal? Have you been scared to try new things? Um, you know, what are you afraid of? You know, like kind of just asking those uncomfortable questions and having them sort through that. Um, and that generally I find will will produce the answers, sometimes not right away. Sometimes they're going to say a, you know, an answer that is just kind of more of a coping mechanism answer. It's not really like the real answer. Um, then yes, it's going to yes, take a little yes. bit of time to kind of dig there. Um, but you can't also expect a client who's had, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of food issues to just overnight be like, yeah, I'm totally fine going out to eat and order this. So, you know, like that, it's going to yeah. be a process. And that is, that nice is segue. what coaching mm-hmm. is. You know what I mean? Like that is, it's it's the it's the work that nobody sees. It's not physical. So there's no right. real immediate benefits that you're physically seeing or feeling. Um, the mental work is very very hard, and rewiring those patterns of years of you know whether it's dieting or restriction or even just bad fad dieting or up and down like whatever it might be, all these things you've told yourself for the past ten, fifteen, twenty years they're not going to change overnight. And this goes for literally anything. But the reason this is so hard for people in the diet training fitness space is because it's not physical and because it's mental. If the two go together. And if your brain is fucked, you're never going to have a good relationship with food. Quote of the day, if your brain is fucked, yeah. like, I just want to repeat that again. Because it's, no, it's so true, though. Like, jokes aside, like, it is so freaking true. And that's, that's kind of, you know, you mentioned the, the time span. That's kind of the last point that I wanted to, to make is that, you know, people will come to you or me, and like I said, they've got these these lofty goals. They want to step on stage, or they want to lose X amount of pounds, and, and that's great to have those goals. But there's so many tiny steps we need to get past first, right? And if you have this disordered eating in your background, or you're working through it yourself, um, you know, it's not um, sexy or glamorous to say like, "Hey, give me two years of your life so I can kind of transform you," right? So like you have to set those tiny goals along the way. And I know that you speak on this all the time, Um, but just kind of, you know, for people that are listening um, that might struggle with binge eating or are working through that, and maybe they still have an episode here or there. Like, I just think it's important to let the people know, like working through any kind of disordered eating, it just takes time because you've probably been doing this for over a decade. Um, You know, I think about the first time that I intentionally restricted my calories and I think I was a preteen you know I mean it's just Mm -hmm. been ingrained in us that like dieting is part of our culture and I know that you've gone through your fair share of disordered eating you know back um 
when you were younger. So thoughts on just like the timeline and what you should, uh, what you can tell people for some comfort. Yeah, it is a very uncomfortable truth that we have to recognize. The amount of time that you spent in the disordered pattern is not going to be erased by a six month, three months, six months, whatever package, right? Like, um, and now do I think that, do I think that you can't make progress in that time? No, you can make progress in the first few weeks with the right coach and the right program and the right training, but you can't expect all those things to be erased. And the other thing too, that I want to speak on that I think a lot of, um, a lot of, there's been a lot of emphasis on mental health, right? And there's been a lot of emphasis on, you know, retraining and reframing thoughts. And it's, it's been really, really helpful for so many clients. Um, and just in general, like as far as social media goes and content that people are putting out, right? But one thing I want to make very clear is that some people who have had food issues, right, or any kind of you know, body image issues, binging, restricting, whatever it might be, right, in that kind of space, if they even feel that kind of inkling of that, a lot of times people will feel bad, like, oh, I had the feeling that I wanted to binge, but I didn't do it. Or, man, I had a low body image day, but I didn't let it spiral out of control. I'm like, no, 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 that is the win those things are probably never going to fully go away. Just I like say that too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like somebody like you cannot say, Hey, I never want to be anxious ever again. Well, not going to happen. Right. It's <laughs> no. about learning how to manage your anxiety. So the same way, if you have body image issues, those are likely never going to go away fully, but it's learning to manage those and it's learning to not let that spiral out of control. So that really is the win. And I think that that's where I want people to reframe their thoughts too. Like, hey, you know, this is a long process. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. Um, but understand that if you have made a lot of progress, like you need to celebrate that. Like if you had the desire to overeat or binge, but you didn't, that's the win. It's not that you have, oh man, I had the thought to do it. No, no, no. It's the fact that you stopped yourself and you moved forward in a positive and productive way. I agree. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing to note for me um, about binge eating, I feel like we say this all the time, but it really does depend. Everything depends. It's all very situational. There is no one size fits all. And like, yep. you know, that is the the intricacy of coaching, right? We're not here to just, you know, word vomit some numbers at you and run away, run away for the week, right? Like we're really trying to ask the tough questions, get the information mm-hmm. out that we need to, um, not just numbers, not just how much you weighed, all those things, um, you know, and I think that overcoming disordered eating is definitely possible as long as, you know, you're very open, you communicate. And I'm sure you've had clients where weeks ago by, you didn't think anything was wrong, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, X, Y, Z happened. You're like, well, I wish I would have known so I could have stopped that train from crashing. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, and, and you, know. you know that is that is communication, and that's you know part of it is as a coach you have to write ask the right questions. Part of it as a coach is having an open dialogue and letting people know that they can speak to you, but also part of it is on the client too. You know you could you could paint a very different picture as a client when you're checking in um, to basically say like hey yeah all these things are great, and then really in reality there's this really big thing looming over you that's really affecting you or you know, or you're kind of sliding backwards. So it is important to, as a client, to speak to your coach about these things. Obviously, you need to be in the right coaching relationship because, you know, I know that there's some people who have had 
coach they're probably the reason why they're not doing this because they've had coaches and they've brought those things up and it's just been ignored right so right the whole point is to obviously have a good coach client relationship this is a relationship um some weeks it's going to be really easy some weeks it's going to be really hard um and you have to just basically be open to telling people telling your coach you know what is going on um so you guys can address it right away instead of waiting like you said several weeks it's like wait we could have changed this and it would have been so much better um, I know. but you know i know that's also just part of people learning to open open up and trust other people too so that that is that is a real thing but as as a coach on your end what you can do is you know ask the right questions ahead of time like on your update sheet on you know and then also just be open and willing to you know talk to people so something I want to know too is on let's say things are going really well pretty smooth um, and then you know reverse diet is you guys are kicking ass what about when down the road um, you think you're ready to do like a mini cut or a dieting phase or something like that? How how do you assess a client's progress before going into some kind of caloric restriction? Mm-hmm. So, well, first and foremost, I mean, obviously the low-hanging fruit is that they haven't dieted, you know, they've recovered from their diet fully, both, you know, metabolically, hormonally, um, mentally, all of those things, right? Like they have no diet side effects from the last time that they might have dieted. Um, just because somebody wants to diet doesn't mean that they're in a place to do it. Um, but Great. if they have fully, they have fully <laughs> recovered, then, you know, that's kind of one check in the box. If they've had food issues beforehand and if you've been working on those, that will be obviously a little bit harder to manage, but it is possible to manage. Um, you just have to be a little bit more flexible with the approach. Um, you, you'll likely have to be a little bit slower with the approach. And obviously, um, you know, if you are trying to change your body composition or change your body for your physique or your health, you are likely going to have to tap into a deficit. That is just the reality of losing body fat. But how you go about that can be very different for everybody, right? Like the how harsh the deficit or or how long it is or how rigid it is, like all of those things are really going to depend on the person's mindset and their headspace. And you know, that's, again, where that communication comes in because if a client is, you know, maybe had issues beforehand, but they're doing fine, okay, let's crank it up. And then if the client, you know, was previously okay, but now they're having issues, okay, let's detach, let's see what's going on, okay, what has changed, what's going, you know, what's going south here, like we need to figure out, like, why, you know, you're not responding physically and mentally. And then at some point, you know, you also have to be very realistic as the coach and say, okay, this is time to push, here's what we need to do, or hey, this is when we need to pull back. Because um, I think it becomes a very hard conversation when we're talking about repairing somebody's relationship with food and adding in flexibility with their life. And then it's like, well, then wait, how does dieting fit into this? Right. It, yep. it can fit into it very easily, but there has to be distinct periods of the diet. There has to be a distinct goal. It's not just like, yeah, yeah let's just diet and we'll kind of – you know, maybe we'll diet, maybe we won't. Like, no, no, no. We need to be fully recovered from any of the other food, you know, issues beforehand. We yeah. need to be fully recovered from any previous diet or dieting history. And then when it's time to go all in with that diet, okay, let's do it. We're going to attack it. Um, and not to say that everybody needs to have a perfect, clear, hey, I want to lose X amount of weight. No, because that's not always realistic either. But it is okay. I'm not somebody who's against clients who want to change their body comp or need to change their body comp for health reasons. 
Um, but all of those things need to be in place first because you're not going to build any good habits in a deficit. You're simply riding out all the habits that you put in an off-season recovery period. So I want to ask you, let's say you have a client that doesn't have any eating issues. Reverse diet's great. They're kicking ass, whatever. And then we go into a dieting phase. And then slowly but surely, kind of, you know, things might start to get a little aggressive, whatever. Um, and then some eating, like disordered eating is kind of triggered. Uh, and that might be new to a client where they, they, they can't relate to, you know, ever having any kind of like disordered eating tendencies. Have you experienced that? And then how do you kind of troubleshoot that? That's typically, I would say that in that situation, that's generally going to be more of like a contest prep client. Right. Um, just because of the intensity of the diet, right? Like just the nature of the physiological implications of being staged lean body fat can really trigger these things for people. And we hear this all the time. I had no issues with food before I started competing. I did three seasons and now I can't even recognize myself around food, right? Like this is very, very common. And there's a lot going on here. One, like I said, physiologically, your body is in a very uncomfortable place. And then psychologically, there's a lot going on too, not only with the restriction and the rigidity, but also the concept of just competition in general, um, just how that can affect your mental headspace, um, you know, training for something like a physique competition that is subjective sport, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but basically to troubleshoot that, when people develop these issues, we really just have to, okay, immediately identify, okay, where, where is this stemming from? You know, what habits or behaviors are contributing to it? What are you doing on a daily basis that is, you know, helping or hurting the situation? And then we really kind of have to piece together all this information to see what is actually happening. It's just like when somebody, you know, say, for example, somebody's like, oh, I've been having all these digestive issues. Okay, well, that's a really huge yeah. can of worms, exactly. right? It's very vague. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it the food you ate? Is it yeah. new job that you have? Is it because, is it how, you know, when you're eating? Is it like there? There's so many reasons why you might be having digestive issues. Same reason. There's so many reasons why you might be having, you know, some kind of food issues. So we need to basically create almost like a journal slash log of, you know, day to day. Okay, what is going on? What is triggering this? What is helping this? What is hurting me? Um, and then put all that together to help the client. Um, so there is no one size fits all. And then of course, this. I mean, this goes without saying. But if somebody is really, really in a negative space. I don't care if they're trying to step on stage for the Olympia. For anybody who's not who isn't familiar, that is like the biggest bodybuilding show of the year. I don't care if they're yeah. trying to step on stage for the Olympia or if they're just trying to, you know, lose 10 pounds. If somebody is having detrimental side effects that is really, really negative, you should stop the diet immediately. Yeah. Um, it, nothing is worth that. Um, I can promise you literally nothing is worth that. Um, obviously, that's a very extreme response and most people are not going to be there. But if you are seeing very, very detrimental things. And this is, of course, going to typically be people who've had a history with other things. It's not just like this comes out of nowhere. Um, but just always know that there are things that are very serious need to be dealt with. Um, and no diet is really worth that. You need to figure that out. Um, and the only other thing I wanted to ask you is just, you know, when would you say that therapy is needed? I think a lot of people, you know, they understand that, that there's so much benefit in terms of therapy for just anything, anxiety, life, 
whatever. But mm-hmm. I think when it comes to food and relationships with food, people are less likely to think like, oh, I could speak to a therapist about this. You know, when mm-hmm. would you say that uh, you would refer somebody? So first of all, I mean, of course, we can, you know, throw in around the words like binge eating and things like that. If you have true binge eating disorder, that's unmanaged. If you have true, you know, an- uh, anorexia, bulimia, all of these things like that needs to be handled with a professional. Somebody mm-hmm. reaches out to us and says, hey, I'm, you know, I've been in and out of, uh, you know, hospital for anorexia. You do not need an online coach. You need a no. whole team of people right now who are helping you. Um, disordered eating is very different than an eating disorder, um, just based on the length of time and the severity, et cetera. But a lot of the food issues with people, typically what I've found is that they stem from, you know, either control issues. A lot of people use food as a control mechanism. So when people have, you know, kind of, you know, just control issues that they need to work on, or they channel, you know, focusing on what they eat or how they look or all that because, of their anxiety or their depression tendencies or whatever it is, or vice versa. This can basically create all these negative, like, you know, let's again go back to that kind of competitor or any competitor, it's not just physique competitor, any high-level competitor can now suffer from mental health consequences from being a high-level athlete, right? So there's so many ways that food is intertwined with our headspace. And I would say that as a coach, I feel comfortable up to a certain level, right? I feel comfortable, you know, working on certain habits and talking through things. But at some point, if somebody really, really is not making any headway and they're just getting worse, that's generally when it's time to say, hey, in conjunction with coaching, I really should see a, see a therapist. Because like I said, most people's food issues aren't just an issue with food. They either have exactly. low self-confidence, yeah. they have terrible body image, they have, you know, abusive past, they have all this trauma. Like there's so many different things going on and food is just another outlet for that. Um, just mm-hmm. like there's people who self-harm themselves that's not because they want to harm themselves. It's because they have undealt with psychological needs, right? Exactly. The same way that people do that, they do this with food. So, of course, the severity is going to depend on when somebody needs a therapist. Um, but I'm always, as soon as, you know, we try some things, we try some habits, we, you know, talk through things, we try and work out, you know, whatever they're struggling with. If I feel like, okay, I can't do this, that's when it's like this you know, in conjunction here, we really need to speak with someone. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you wanted to add? I feel like we kind of covered, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why. um, Yeah, that was, we really did, yeah, we did a kind of a full, full circle. um, I'm trying to think of the word. I'm terrible with phrases. Whatever the hell we just did (laughs) was great. So no, there's nothing else I want to add. (laughs) I always do this. I always Uh, No, your endings are great. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool. I have nothing else. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Lauren. I, I, um, I need to go to like pod- a. I needed to take a course on like how to end podcast. Like, is there a course for that? Podcast. Can somebody oh, send me that? To, oh my god, I can probably help you. I do have a, a question for you that's unrelated to food, though. Are you a Are you a Spotify girl? Yeah, I listen to Spotify. Okay, good. I would like to know what's on your daily mix one today. Daily new <laughs> artist. Your daily mix one. Lauren, do you not know this on Spotify? No. Oh, my God. What? Okay. You need to go to your Spotify and literally on your Spotify. Okay. Oh, I'm looking. Have, All right. Um, I need to know who's on there. Just like the first two artists. What's going on with you? <laughs> Lamb of God, Linkin Park, Slipknot, Asking Alexandria, Bring Me the Horizon. Yes. 
<laughs> like, but is it old asking or new asking? Um, both. I honestly, I'm, I'm digging. I'm not, I'm not mad at the new album. Um, the, the new album has some pretty good, pretty good songs, but I like their old shit too. Honestly, I, I like most people's old stuff. Like, Bring Me the Horizon. Well, right, yeah. Like, the jam. I mean, obviously, no the vocal like, cords out, so it's like, ah, a little different now, but. The album um, with, like, the girl and, like, holding the, like, in, yeah, the whatever intestines. Song. Yeah, yeah. Intestines Best or whatever. album. Yeah. Um, I was, I just had this Everybody's thought. like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, the more gruesome what? it is, like, I probably like it more, you know? Oh, for sure. Album yeah. covers are important. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just cool today. But I was thinking that you and I need to do some stupid, like, emo girl podcast. And we just, I feel like we could have a really fun time with that, you know? Just, hey, emo girl things. I'm here for the it. Days. I'll, <laughs> I gotta, I'll send you this meme. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll explain it to everybody. Here's my outro. It's, uh, it's a meme, and it's, like, all these, like, young kids wearing, like, corn and slipknot t-shirts and like the chains on their pants like that whole thing and it's like me and my homies in 1999 waiting to get picked up from the mall by mom <laughs> literally though like that topic looked so much cooler and like way more intense forever ago oh. and now it's like just very bright in there and I'm like what is this you know what I mean yes it's a little, oh, it's a little too nice but oh, it's from binge eating to hot topic Jesus hey I didn't, we're well rounded. We're well rounded. Oh my gosh. Well, I appreciate you and um, thank you a million. You're awesome as always. You're so welcome. And uh, (laughs) we'll definitely hear from you in the future for sure on some more, uh, some more good topics. Thanks so much for listening to the Tailored Living Podcast. If you're looking for any nutrition, coaching, programming, or a combination, head over to tailoredtraining.com. You can always send me an email at trainwithtaylor at gmail.com. And of course, follow me on Instagram at taylorfit.com.